You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. What does it look like for the gospel to be displayed in our work? Now, we all work. Whether or not we get paid for it is a different story. Um, But we all work. So even my uh, 11-year-old, 10-year-old? 11-year-old. Yeah, she just turned 11. My goodness. Oh, time is flying. Um, For her, she still works, right? She wakes up. She has chores around the house. She has to do her schoolwork. So what does it look like to work but in light of the gospel? And so that's what the passages we're talking about today. And this is AJ, as I said. Um, AJ has been in all sorts of environments. So he's been in corporate environments. He has been in uh, church environments. He has led organizations of hundreds and thousands. Um, You are consulting for uh, organizations that are huge and have huge revenue streams. And so you have done a ton in the secular world, um, as well as me. So we planted, when my wife and I planted here, um, I got a job a secular job as a realtor, and I've done that for the last eight years. And so I've had the joy and the privilege of shepherding this church and discipling this church while I have a full-time job outside of here. So what does it look like to have the gospel at work um, in our lives? And so we're going to dive in. Um, We're going to dive into this passage. Um, There's a bunch of stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Um, I do want to clarify some stuff. So we use the ESV Bible. Um, So that's the translation that we have used uh, since inception. That's what the Bibles are in the back. If you need a Bible, there's always Bibles as you walk in on different carts. We'd love for you to hold the Word of God in your hand. If you're on your phone and you're flipping through on the YouVersion Bible app, um, please use the ESV. That's what we're using. Um, But different translations will translate the first word of the sentence differently. And so for some translations, they will use the word slaves. For other translations, like the ESV, they use the word bond servants. And first off, we want to say that these bond servants and slaves um, in different translations, we may misunderstand this passage based off of how we understand what Paul is trying to get at. So when you're reading scripture, you want to read it in context to what the scriptures are saying. Now, we want to acknowledge that there is a disgusting horror of slavery that has taken place throughout all generations and all nations in all of history. And so this can date all the way back, right, to the Jews uh, being in Egypt, right, the Israelites being in Egypt. This can date to the Jews um, and uh, the Germans. Uh, We could look at that as the Africans in America when they were brought over. It it is a disgusting horror, and um, chattel slavery was birthed from the sinfulness of man. And so we want to declare that and say that, but we want to also acknowledge the fact that here it's different. In this passage, we're not necessarily talking about that chattel slavery that we've seen that should never have been, but because the sinfulness of man has happened in our world around us. Um, So AJ, what is the context of this passage and what's Paul addressing? Because the Greek word here, uh, doulos, right, means bondservant. Um, and sometimes even used with high dignity um, when said. So what do you see here? So in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul is addressing the church. He moves from individuals, should they get married? He starts talking about uh, married folks. This is, you know, who you are in relation to each other and to the Lord. If they happen to have kids, kids, this is how you were to respond to your parents, parents, how you're supposed to respond to your children. 
And now he moves to our time in the marketplace and, and finishes then with our relationship with our true and, and only enemy, the enemy, Satan and demons, which we covered a bunch in previous weeks with the armor of God. And so just thinking about maybe just tagging on a little bit to what Bill just said, as Americans, we tend to look at this verse and only see it through the lens of slavery of Africans here in America. And, and so it, it's hard for us to pull back and see such generally a light response from Paul. And we'll get to how that Paul is still undoing everything in their culture and can in ours as well. But let's not push our idea into Scripture, but instead pull out from Scripture what's really there. Their slavery, their doulos, their bond servant, that was more akin to the working relationship. That was more akin to an employee and a boss. And so that's what we're, we're applying it to today in our lives. And so just looking at kind of the average American worker, some stats, spends over eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, at work, and another six hours on average each weekend. Spend an average of 42 years in the workforce. Now, that's over half of our life expectancy, which right now is about 77.28. And so, as I've been coming, coming up through the workforce, I've seen how the world approaches it. And in my early years of work, it was a lot of everyone talking about saving for retirement uh, so you could sail into the sunset at 65, right? You worked hard for 40 years. It's your turn. You deserve it. And then the next decade, it was kind of fire. Anyone know what fire is? Financial independence, retire early. It's this huge move to do everything you can to save and to scrimp so you can stop working at 30 and go live in a shack on the beach in Bolivia and, and just be free of the daily grind, right? For the most part, you were supposed to forego all relationships because they're expensive and, uh, and you, you weren't supposed to find any joy in your work. You were just supposed to get out. And then interest rates doubled, and the economy is slumping, and the news is constantly talking about war and, and uh, stock crashes and crypto scams. And, and so now the constant refrain on social media is Minimal Monday. Have you seen Minimal Monday? How do I just do the least amount of work on Monday just to extend my weekend a little bit further, steal a little bit from my boss, or the great resignation, the big quit, right? Everybody's leaving their, their jobs right now, trying to see, can I get a different job with maybe more freedom, more money? Uh, maybe they've got this idea of the grass is greener, and then it isn't, and they're still working. Or quiet quitting. Quiet quitting is fun. Quiet quitting is where folks just stop doing their jobs and wait until their bosses find out. It's, it's all over social media. You should check it out. It's, it's amazing. It's embarrassing, uh, but it's amazing. And so I think what's happening is people have just kind of given up on, I, I'm not going to be able to just do 40, out, 40 years of work and then retire into the sunset. I'm, I'm not going to be able to retire at 30. And so there's sort of this idea that they've just, they've just given that up and, and work is always going to be a drudgery. And so part of me wants to apologize to, to Bill. I look at some of you young people out there and I'm just like, gosh, don't worry. It's only two three, four more decades of work. Uh, but I don't think the Lord wants us to be as uh, joyless in our work. I don't think he wants us to see it as drudgery and purposeless. And so what should the Lord expect of us? Uh, the lion's share of our days. That's good. You know, and I think you don't have to be sorry, right? Because I do believe that what Paul's addressing here is that my work 
whether it is taking out the trash at my house, um, I, I know we have a ton of stay-at-home moms here. Um, we have uh, people who uh, are in the service uh, service industry as well as that serve the community, um, like police officers and firefighters, and um, that, that my service truly is, my work is truly unto the Lord as we're seeing in this passage. Um, and as I see this, I really see this in two ways. My work is provision and it's presentation. So provision because I want to provide for my family, but presentation of the gospel to the world around me. How I work represents the gospel to the world around me. Um, and in our society, I think that if we don't love it, we don't want to do it. Um, I don't think anybody would have asked my dad and his generation, hey, do you like your job? Like, that wasn't really a question that was asked 20, 30, 40 years ago, but now it's the only question that's asked right now. Do you enjoy what you're doing? Do you like what you're doing? Uh, if you don't, then complain about it to everybody except for the person that can do anything about it, right? So there's this, there's this idea of I'm only going to do what I enjoy where I believe that what we're seeing here is that there's this provision aspect um, because we live in a world that requires um, money for uh, necessities, right? I'll put in, have an electric in my house or, or water, but at the same time, it's the presentation of the gospel that we really want to get to and the heart of that my work, whether recognized or not by my superiors um, or those around me, my work is unto the Lord, right? And my work is for the Lord, and it's to present the gospel to the world around me. Um, so he's addressing really two different types of people here. One, it's those that are in authority, and then the others that are subordinates to that authority. Um, and he starts with those that are under authority, but I thought it'd be fun to maybe start with those that are in authority, because I think often um, those that are in authority, there's a mindset and understanding that, like, we are, tr we are supposed to be servants of those that fall underneath our authority, um, but there's a level of leadership that calls yeah. us to, to understand our role, yep. right? There's, a, there's a, a firstness to it, not to be above or to lord over, but actually to serve um, and to come uh, really under those that we're working with. Yep. And so what are you seeing here for those that are in authority? When, when Paul says, masters, do the same to them, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him, he's turning the Ephesian minds inside out. And it may not seem that way to us, but he just told the powerful, the wealthy, the free to treat their bond servants, their employees, the same way as those people are supposed to treat them. And that, that just completely inverted the, the power pyramid of their culture. And he's instructing them to lead from a posture of relationship and not just position. And he says, you know, don't threaten them. Encourage, train, uh, remembering that maybe at one time you were at that same level of the corporate ladder. He tells them to uh, be careful. You, you may be master on the 40th floor, but your master dwells in heaven. And he sees, as his little brother James said, he sees how you treat those under you, how you steal their wages, how you demand their silence and attack the whistleblower, how you treat the waiter, never looking up at them, acknowledging that they bear the image of our heavenly master. He's, he's telling us, bosses, look for ways to serve your employees. 
Check in on their relationships and home lives. Don't bless yes men. Look for hard workers. Uh, know that you are that as you are gracious and generous towards your employees and those you manage, you are doing this as to Christ. And so work with your employees as I think too, someday they may be your bosses. Uh, this is also practical because today's workforce is their culture is, it bounces around from job to job to job, and as you help them, they may be in a position later to help you after layoffs or downturns in the economy. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'd ask you, but there's just so many. I'll yeah. ask you. Um, I think we have a huge authority issue in our culture. Right? I think that we, um, we uh, may, maybe I'll just speak for me. I want to be the ultimate authority. Right? So, yeah. It looks like a good job. Yeah. So, I think that we just have this, uh, and that comes from all the way back to the garden where the devil is, you know, speaking through this crafty serpent and saying like, hey, guess what? You, can, you could be like God. Right? There's an authority piece there. There's this piece of like, oh, wait a minute. I could be the one that calls the shots. I could be the one that determines my future. Any control freaks? Right? We want to, no, no pointing fingers. Um, we, you know, we want to be the ones to determine our outcome, right? And that's our whole, our whole world revolves around self-help books and three steps to a better you so that you could be your ultimate authority. I mean, that's the world that we live in. Um, but that's not the scriptural response. We fall underneath an authority. And that authority is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Peter even writes in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16, says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, I love anytime anybody in scripture is starting to talk about being subject to or being under, like it's unto the Lord, right? We saw that with husbands and wives, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, right? Christ is our ultimate example. God is our ultimate example. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors um, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should, be put, to, you should put to silence the ignorant of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And I think often, you know, what we're even seeing here now moving into those that are in a subordinate role, sometimes we put on this mask of, oh yeah, I'm honoring my leadership in their presence. But then all of a sudden we walk away and roll our eyes. We walk away and we gossip. We walk away and, and badmouth them. And then, you know, when people are asking us how, how work is, it's all the bad things that those around us are doing, um, which then becomes a scapegoat, really, for our insubordination and our not doing the job that we've been asked to do because of those that are an authority over us. And so there's really this, I could just imagine people sitting and listening to and listening to the reading of this letter from Paul, the church sitting there, and, and he's reading about these bond servants, and they're all sitting there, the majority of them probably being in that role of a bond servant, um, and then him flipping it on its head and saying, but yeah, but those in authority, like you can't 
lord over them. You can't oppress the people that are underneath your authority. Like, there's a responsibility. There's a weight that comes with this leadership that God has given you. We're supposed to steward that well um, and steward the hearts of those people. Um, and I think that that's a big shift. Well, I think, too, if, if 50 to 66% of the people in this day and age would have been bond servants. So the likelihood of this Bible study in Ephesus leading to, they get to this part where it says, you know, master, stop threatening. Everyone's like, yes, yes, tell them, tell them. He's sitting right over there. That's my bonds, my master, tell him. And there's almost a sense of that kind of in our culture. Like if you are rich, let's tear you down. If you are a business owner, um, then you've probably stole from somebody. If you are a landlord, then, I mean, should you really be charging me rent? I don't know if you've seen that on social media, but there's just this idea of, of to own a property and to rent to somebody else is somehow bad. And so I think there's, immediately in our hearts, we see the correction to the masters, and we're like, yes, get them, get them. But then Paul is talking to 50 to 66% of the population in this bondservant role, and he, he addresses them. Hey, you... Obey your earthly masters with, earth, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or he is free. And so this should shape our work. A lot of us, I'm looking around the room, there's probably a lot of us that aren't working, but uh, there's still, what do we think, 50%? still working. He wants us to act as we would with Christ with each of these ideas, right? So obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling as you would Christ. There's an eagerness that we are supposed to have as employees, an eagerness to help, not an anxiety because we don't have anxiety with Christ, but we do want to serve with him. We do want to be with him. We do want to labor alongside him. And so we should do that as well with our bosses uh, when he talks about with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Uh, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. I, I think you, we could inquire uh, with our coworkers about their, how their lives are going. Christians, you are light in a dark place. I was talking to uh, a guy. He's a big executive at a, uh, a national company. And uh, sometimes in our conversations, they move to, to almost kind of like coaching, the struggles he's dealing with and and, and I just always have the eye of, like, what would the Lord want you to do as a missionary in this place that you are? And, and he starts explaining to me that his, uh, his team is being deeply impacted by a decision his boss is making around their bonuses. And they're not going to get 100% of their bonus. And almost kind of in an arbitrary way, and he's frustrated. And, and so we're kind of talking about ways that he could help them with some incentives and, and maybe, maybe build the incentives beyond just dollars and... And then all of a sudden he says, yeah, you know, instead of getting $800,000 as a bonus, they're only going to get $600,000. And I kind of choked on my food and then, and then recovered. And I was like, in my mind, I immediately re realized, like, we're, I'm, not, I'm not talking just about how to motivate employees. I'm now talking to a guy who is in a mission field that Jesus himself said, it is easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get rich people into the kingdom of God. I said, hey, hey, man, as we've been talking, I, am I right in understanding that you make so much money, you could stop working and never have to earn a paycheck again and still have enough to live and, and support your family? And he's kind of shyly, yeah, 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 that's true. Okay. When's the last time you prayed for anybody? 
When's the last time that you opened the word with anybody or encouraged them in a way that you would us at the church? Because you could risk getting fired. And they could fire you, and you'd be fine, but you might have bought a brother or sister into the kingdom. And so I said, you are in this mission field. I want to send you out, and I want a mission report in two weeks. I want you to tell me about people you prayed for, people you have uh, encouraged. I want, I want it all. I think it was three days later, he came back, and he said, I went to a retirement party, and I got to pull the guy aside and be like, look, you're not going to find fulfillment in retirement, but you will in Jesus. I was like, yes, that's awesome. Good job. And he prayed for people, and he encouraged people, and it was so beautiful. And then he, he was risking. You Christians in your workplace, you are in a dark place. You can be a light. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that working in the secular world and starting a business and then having a team now of uh, I've got four um, uh, teammates that I've, I've raised up in the real estate industry. And um, it's really interesting because, like, I can literally start seeing people through a different lens. Um, and, like, I love what uh, I think it was originally Jonathan Edwards says, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Um, because now all of a sudden I'm not going into listing presentations and trying to sell people houses with this idea of a paycheck, but actually that this is an opportunity to shepherd people towards Jesus in one of the most impactful moments of their life when they're looking for a home. And all of a sudden, your eyes begin to open up to the opportunities when you ask the Lord, open my eyes up to the opportunities that you have before me. And I remember going to this one listing presentation very early on in my real estate career, and um, she just seemed very heavy. Uh, Like she just, her her husband wasn't doing well um, health-wise, and and as she was like touring me around her house to list it, I just stopped and I said, hey, it seems like you're carrying some kind of a burden right now. Like, are you doing okay? Is there something I could be praying for? And she just lost it. I mean, she just started sobbing, and then we sat down at her dining room table, and I got to pray over her. I got to share the gospel with her, um, and then uh, seeing that play out with the relationships with inspectors and mortgage brokers and different relationships now that are coming into my life where it's okay to ask people, hey, is there anything I could be praying for you right now? Um, And I know that there is this aura uh, or this idea in our culture of like, there's a huge separation between our work and the gospel, yeah. but there's not. And the gospel is what we've been called to, whether it's in our um, homeschooling or our job or our retirement, the gospel is the forefront of everything a believer is to put forth. And and there's really not much threatening about asking somebody, hey, is there anything I could be praying for in this season for you? even if you don't stop right there in the middle of Walmart, um, to just be actually praying for people. And if you don't ask them, to still be praying for them, right? Your, your coworkers, your neighbors, the people that annoy you in your neighborhood, like you can actually take those people before the Lord and pray over them, um, pray over those relationships, um, and ask the Lord to bring those opportunities up in your life. Um, so what about though those that are, just to speak to those that are underemployed, uh, unemployed, maybe the teens, like the teens in the room, we have this you know, whole section right here. Um, 
So teens, stay-at-home parents, those that are maybe newly employed that are about to walk into a new job, any thoughts for them? Yeah, whenever I, I think of that, I just think of identity. I think of finding identity in work and having it taken away, uh, finding it in position and being much lower than that for the underemployed. Uh, I've, I've experienced a lot of that in the past, uh, probably the past five years of just going from one job to the next and feeling like I got busted down to JV and, and trying to be humble in that, but then also recognizing, okay, I'm feeling this. What might other people be feeling? And encouraging them and really just trying to get down to what, have the, what has the Lord showed me? It's around my identity. I found my identity if at times I was a pastor and then I would, I would change roles and maybe I was a new church and, and just a, in a sense just a deacon is what I felt, but then not honoring that position and not honoring what that was, but uh, and other times, too, just looking for work and not being able to find anything and then just cleaning up a buddy's job site because that's what I've got. And, and just recognizing, like, Lord, not only is my identity sometimes askew from being, what was that song that we just sang? It was, um, I am a child of God. That needs to be our identity. Not I make this much money or I hold this position or I've got this much tenure. And so in doing that... Uh, that's, that's, that's how I, I just, I feel for them in the, the loss of identity. But then I also, I also recognize that there's a sense of we were able to maybe accomplish a lot. And we were using our gifts and our talents were at, in, on display and not just for our glory, but for the Lord's glory. And then that doesn't happen anymore. That's really disarming. And, and so one of the things I feel like the Lord has encouraged me with is that he's a better steward than I am. And so if he takes some of my gifts and push them in the closet for a little while, that's okay. It's not the right season for it. It'd be weird if I had all my snowboard gear up in Florida in the middle of summer. It's not the right season for it. And so to just trust him with that, I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. I could be doing more. I had more responsibility previously, Lord. I'd, and avoid the enemy condemning us for not stewarding well and recognize the Lord's a better steward than we are. I think uh, just to wrap up, um, thinking about just our work in the gospel and eternity, um, I always want to have the lens of, of life and eternity and what that looks like. I love thinking about eternity, like what is this going to look like? Um, and I think that our media has misrepresented what eternity is even going to be. Um, I think that, you know, I love uh, going to, uh, on vacation with my wife, and so getting away with her for a couple of days, uh, we usually go somewhere tropical. I know we live in Southwest Florida, but like we go somewhere tropical um, and sit on the beach, usually somewhere that's all-inclusive, where I can sit in a cabana facing the ocean, and people can bring me drinks and food, and I could do nothing. Like that's my like, idea of rest, but that's not eternity that we see in Scripture. I think we just think it's going to be this eternal, like us floating around and doing nothing all day. But that's like, when we look at work, right? Let's look at pre, pre-sin, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, I don't know what that work looked like, but I do know that there was no sin. But yet, when God created Adam, he took him and put him in this beautiful garden that he had everything available to him. I don't even think that there may have been weeds at that point because there was no sin, right? But he was still to work it and keep it. And then sin happens, 
And then Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face shall you eat bread. So now this work has changed because of sin, and there's like a toil in work, but there's still work. And then we go all the way to Revelation 22.3, and it says, no longer will there be any curse, right? We're, we're taken up into, into heaven, and there's, there's no curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. In the, that's in the NIV. They, they use that, that language. So there's going to be a servant aspect, a serving aspect of, of the new heavens and the new earth that is going to be very similar to what we see in, with Adam in the garden. And so there's going to be a working and a keeping it. Now, we don't maybe know what that looks like. And the thing is, is that I think that we're trying to find this fulfillment in work here, which we never will. We're going to find fulfillment in glorifying God and our enjoyment of God. That's where we'll find our identity and our fulfillment and our satisfaction. And we'll experience the fullness of everything that God has intended for us when we are with him one day for all of eternity. Um, and that fulfillment is going to be a great joy in our work. Um, but God desires for us to experience some of that now. Yeah. Um, it's not this self-serving euphoria uh, that we seek, but it's actually a God-serving enjoyment that God invites us to and calls us to, to work hard to the glory of God. We see this in verse 7, rendering service with a, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And I think we look at our jobs and we look at our homes and we look at those, I mean, parents, sometimes your kids don't deserve you serving them. Agreed? Like, they, 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 when they throw something across the room and it splatters or drops something, like, like you don't feel like it. <laughs> We can do this unto the Lord. We can serve others unto the Lord. We can, we can serve one another unto the Lord. And this doesn't just stop at retirement. In fact, we don't see in Scripture where it says, hey, just I, I love how John Piper puts the word picture of like, just, just let's go retire somewhere where you could lay on the beach and, and pick seashells up off the seashore, right? But actually that there is work to be done for the kingdom. And whether we are married or single, whether we are in the workforce or not in the workforce, that we are to glorify God in our work while we have breath in our lungs. And for some, it's going to look different than others. And for some, God may uh, use your talents and your gifts to write articles for magazines and blogs for the glory of God. And for others, it may be um, in helping out your kids and your grandkids in their work. Um, but you're serving those around you to the glory of God for his name, just like Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do. Do you know what the Greek word there, whatever, means? Whatever. Whatever you do. Coaching YMCA soccer, not always fun. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. And that's in spite of your, like, whether your boss deserves it or not. And that's probably one of the hardest things I think that, that we struggle with is let them, right, let them do it first, and then I'll do it, right? right? Well, if my boss just did this, right, if my boss just did verse 9, right, stop threatening me, then I would, no, 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 for both of these, those that are in authority and those that are subordinate, like, 
do it unto the Lord. Because unto the Lord is what glorifies God. Yep. Any last thoughts? I think just with seeing as many uh, old heads as we've got in this room, I, I want to encourage you that the the world ahead of you and the ministry ahead of you is huge, right? I, I believe that for the most part, you guys have the most energy, you have the most money, you have the most freedom of movement, right, snowbirds? You have free time. And fight that temptation to just cruise around the world and pick up seashells. Uh, fight the idea that it's somebody else's turn, you did yours, it's somebody else's turn. Um, fight the allergy to commitments that might lock you down to a group every week or a, a service opportunity here in the church. And, and don't forget that you have so much to give the younger folk. Uh, you've walked through teenagers. It's a big deal when you're just coming into that, when you've got 11 and 12-year-olds in your household and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And to see somebody like, no, no, they, they're okay. They, they make it. Uh, they go to college and, and they still love Jesus and here's what we did and here's what we learned. And, and just know that that's a, huge, that's a huge opportunity for you, especially in a young church like this huge opportunity. And so just be aware of how the enemy might want to lull you into the sidelines and, and ineffectiveness and drive forward, especially in these uh, final years and decades that you've got. Yeah, we had um, early on in our church plant, we had uh, some wonderful people um, in our church um, that either have moved or, or um, whatnot. But um, I remember there was uh, one lady who was so good with kids and every time she came to church, she would, um, they would just like kind of flock to her. And so I went up to her and I was like, and, and she was uh, past retirement age. And I said, um, hey, I would love for you to serve in our kids ministry. And her response was, oh, I've done my time. And, and it was heartbreaking because <clears throat> I was like, man, like the Lord could do so much through you. And we have some exhausted mamas that are in our church that are with their kids all week and would love for you to just hold their baby so that they could sit and worship and listen to the Word of God, be preached and be filled, um, and don't have the, maybe the capacity to get to Bible study during the week or, or whatever that may look like. And so just to know that there is purpose, and actually at the end of our service, one of the uh, blessings that we get to do today is we have a group of uh, people that we're going to bring up and place them before you as our church uh, as deacon candidates. And I think five of the six people that are going to be coming up are like past retirement. Um, and I love that the Lord is bringing that into our church um, because the kingdom of God in this community, right, the, 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 this community needs the gospel. And they will know our, God's love by how we love and serve one another. And so that is what it looks like um, to continue on and to have the gospel displayed at work. Can I pray for us? The band's going to come on up. We're going to worship. Then we're going to bring this group up and pray over them a little bit. Thanks, AJ. Jesus, we love you. God, um, I do pray that um, we would feel energized, excited. Uh, I know that there are people here today, because I've spoken with them even before today, um, that uh, work right now is a very sensitive subject because it's hard. But God, I pray that you would give them a power through your Holy Spirit, right? Lord, you have given us a helper to bring us joy even when we can't muster up our own joy, to give us peace when we don't feel peace, 
God, your spirit moves in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives in a way where we could display your glory and your name by how we work, even in an environment that's toxic. And there are some here today that may be in a toxic environment that need to leave that, Lord, and that are scared of leaving that toxic environment. Um, And so I just pray, Lord, whatever it may be, whether it's not the right season, whether it is not the right environment, um, Lord, that you would give and comfort those that are in this room, God, to know that, um, that your name and what you are calling them to is to display your glory to the world around them in everything that they do. I pray we would not just merely at all find our identity in our work, but Lord, that we as your people would only find our identity as your sons and your daughters, working the rest of the time that we have breath in our lungs for your glory. Empower us with your spirit in order to do that. We pray. We love you. It's in your name we pray.